Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to John chapter 15. We'll be starting in verse 26. Uh, Hearty welcome to those of you who are joining us from home. Uh, We miss you. You're missing a beautiful day, uh, but we appreciate your journey with us. uh, We're grateful for those of you who have health concerns and aren't always able to be with us, but who still join us in spirit. Uh, And thank you for those of you over there who need a little bit more space for your kids and and bring your kids to be a part of our time together. Uh, We're going to be starting in uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're, as you know, church, we're in the middle of a series walking through the book of John. And I want to remind us of three things that will help us understand our text this morning. The first, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, is that John writes after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew and Mark's Gospels are already in wide circulation. Uh, the Gospel of Luke has already been sent to Theophilus and has started to circulate amongst some in, that, in the royal court or at least in the, in the echelons of government. John's writing near the end of his life and he wants to fill in gaps because he wants people to understand some things that they might have missed in just knowing the facts about Jesus' life that are presented by the Synoptic Gospels. So John's writing very specifically to fill in details. So that's why he tells us a lot of things that aren't in the other Gospels because he's filling in details that he doesn't want people to miss. In particular, we're in the farewell discourse. Uh, This takes up about 25% of the Gospel of John, and it's from one night in Jesus' life, shortly before he's about to be tried and executed. So he really wants his disciples to remember some things when the time comes for his death. And lastly, as John presents what Jesus is talking about, he uses several literary devices that are very important for us to understand the entire text. From John 14 to John 17, there are a number of key themes. One is that go, again, go away, come again, go away and send. Jesus, there's this, there's this dynamic interplay in the text of Jesus going and coming, going and sending. And it's a rhythm, and it's almost like you're in a dance 
with Jesus as he's presenting what he's talking about. There's this theme that, of, of going and coming, going and sending, and it re- recurs. There's also a theme about remaining and abiding in Christ. If this makes sense, if you realize that John's writing near the end of his life, he has ministered uh, from almost his entire adult life in the church, helping people come to know Jesus. He knows that people have read and are aware of the Gospels of Mark and Matthew in particular, and he's filling in details, and he wants them to remain because he understands the challenges that Christians will face. And so there's this theme of what it means to remain in Christ. And that also plays as Jesus comes, as God comes in and out of our lives, and as we're in a dance with the Spirit, and as we interact with God in this vibrant, living way, there's this call that we're supposed to remain faithful and so you get this sense that, that as John gives us these words to fill in the gaps, he wants to make sure we as his people understand what it means to be in a dance with God and to live lives that are remaining faithful to him no matter what happens. And if you forget anything else we talk about this morning, remember those two things and think about how they apply to your life. Now let's pray as we get ready to dive into our text. Father, this morning as we come before this text, We don't want to just be smarter about words on a page, but we want to know the living God who was revealed in Jesus and who has come to us in the form of the Holy Spirit. We want to to be more full of your will, and we want to know what it means to walk and to dance and to live with you in your entirety, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, this morning as we come to this text, open our hearts May words that have become so common to us and phrases that have become so familiar, may they strike a chord in us and awaken something new in each and every one of us that we may more faithfully see you and by it become more like Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. John 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. You'll notice that Jesus says, when the Helper comes. It's not if the Helper will come, but when the Helper comes. Jesus promises that the Helper will come, because he says, whom I will send to you from the Father. Jesus, as he's uh, talking to his disciples, tells them that the Holy Spirit's going to come into their lives. He says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father and is sent by Jesus and comes to us. Even as Jesus is reminding us that the Holy Spirit will come, you get the sense of the interplay between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's not that God is out there, but that there's this interplay where they come to us because the Spirit comes from the Father but is sent by Jesus, and it comes to us. And you get this interplay of us with the Holy Trinity, that there's this relationship, this interaction that brings us into fellowship and communion fully with the Godhead. And that may sound like fancy pants stuff, and you're like, what are you talking about? The point is this, God doesn't remain out there while we stand here, but God comes to us and it makes his home in us. That Holy Spirit is that living presence of God within us. And so even as the Holy Spirit comes to us, we often still think of God and Jesus out there. But as we saw in John 14, Jesus says, we will make our home in you. And so even as Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming, he says it comes from the Father, sent by Jesus, comes to us. You see all the level of relationships that are in that promise of the Holy Spirit coming to us. But Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. The word there is aletheia, 
It's a Greek word that means truth, but it's not so much truth, but more reality. You see, it's, it's, about, the, it's about the reality that is, lies underneath in appearance. Uh, the Liddell Scott lexicon will tell you that it's total truth. It's not just what you see, but it's everything that lies underneath. It's the complete whole truth. Uh, when applied to a person, it often meant sincere without pretense. Uh, other lexicons will say it refers to, to something that is real rather than illusion or fake. Uh, Vines, uh, the Vines word study says it is the reality that underlies the appearance. Or, uh, Vines also says, it's the veritable essence of a matter. You see, the Holy Spirit wasn't so much, didn't come just to tell us the truth or to be truthful with us, but it was to help us to understand reality. The Spirit was there to reveal reality. So if you want to understand what's the difference between being told the truth and being told reality, I want you to think about this glass of milk. This glass of milk has exactly seven ounces of 2% milk. That's the fact. That's the truth. But the reality is it's also half full. The reality is also that it's half empty. The reality is also that it's not organic. And the reality is that it came from McDonald's. The truth is that this glass of milk has seven, is, has seven ounces of milk and is half full. But the reality is that it's half full and half empty. And depending on where you're at in life, talking about this glass of milk will require me to focus on a different reality. One truth, multiple realities. Does that make sense? Sometimes when the Holy Spirit reveals reality to us, it's going to remind us that as you look at this seven ounces of milk, you need to remember the glory and goodness of a glass half full. And other times in your life, the Holy Spirit may need to remind you that, there's, that that glass is half empty, which means you have more to put, pour out. That maybe there's actually more resources than you've given God credit for. And so rather than just thinking that it's only half full, you have to realize it's half empty and there's, more, there's room for more. You see the difference? Truth, seven ounces of milk. The reality, half empty or half full. As the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, it's designed to help us see God more clearly in the context of our lives. This Greek word for uh, aletheia, for truth, is also the same Greek word that's used to translate the Hebrew word for faithfulness. See, when, they, when the Septuagint translates the Old Testament uh, Hebrew word for faithfulness, it uses the word aletheia, truth. Because we say when somebody's true... When someone's true to me, we understand that they're being faithful. And when we tell you, hey, I need you to stay true, we're asking people to stay faithful. When we look at our spouses on our wedding day and say, I'm going to be true to you, that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you facts that are verifiable by the Guinness Book of World Records. What I say, when I tell my wife I'm going to be true to you, what I'm saying is I'm going to be faithful to you. So when you think about this spirit of truth that Jesus promises, this Holy Spirit, you have to understand that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal reality to us so that we can more faithfully follow God and understand the faithfulness of God. You see, this truth isn't facts that you memorize or know. 
but they are the, the, the truth underlying the appearance. They are the, the meat of the matter. It is the reality that would help us to, to live faithfully for God and to see his faithfulness. Maybe this morning you are struggling to see the faithfulness of God in your life. And maybe what you need to do this morning is to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the reality of God's faithfulness to you. Maybe this morning you are struggling with how you will be faithful to God in the, in the face of your life. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the reality of life so that you can more faithfully live into all that God has called you to. The Holy Spirit is meant to connect us with the reality of God's presence so that we can more faithfully follow him. And as you think about that, you ought to lean in to what God has called the Spirit for. You'll notice that he says this. The Spirit of truth goes out from the Father. He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit's role primarily as Jesus sees it, is to testify to him. The Holy Spirit's role in the world is not to do hocus-pocus. The role of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily to, get, uh, to make you feel emotionally well. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to fill you with the reality of God's presence so that in the face of a world that will give you contradicting truths, you would understand what is real and be able to hold on to all that is true in life. The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus and his whole ministry is to testify to Jesus. Sometimes we feel like the Holy Spirit's not working in our lives because we want the Holy Spirit to do something the Holy Spirit was never intended to do. Sometimes we get caught up. Why isn't the Holy Spirit working in my life the way he's working in someone else's life? Why don't I see the Holy Spirit working in my life the way I heard he worked 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago? And the problem is, church, the Holy Spirit was never meant to give you the exact same experience as somebody else. The thing that the Holy Spirit was meant to do was to help you see Jesus more clearly, first and foremost. The, the, God gives us spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit, but the purpose of those gifts is not so you can do hocus-pocus. It's not so that you can feel better about yourself. It's not even necessarily better so that you can make more people come to know Jesus. The primary work of the Holy Spirit giving us gifts is so that we would see Jesus more clearly, that we would understand Jesus more faithfully, and that we'll see him with greater depth and honor and power and so maybe this morning you feel like the Holy Spirit hasn't been working in your life, and maybe it's because you're expecting the Holy Spirit to do something in your life that he was never called to do. Have you ever been disappointed with somebody, saying they let you down? And when somebody says, well, how do they let you down? And you, and you tell them something that you expected, and the other person says, well, why did you expect them to do that? I would never have expected that. And then you realize sometimes you, you have this disconnect because you have an expectation that was never intended. Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit's going to come into our lives. But he calls him the spirit of truth, of a reality that would reveal to us that which is underlying all that we see. That it's about the thing that we can never understand just by understanding facts. But it's also the thing that can be missed when there's too much zing-zang power. The Holy Spirit does amazing things. 
And the Holy Spirit works in our lives in amazing ways. But the purpose for that work in our lives is so that Jesus would be lifted high, so that we would see Jesus better and we would understand how our lives connect with Jesus more. When we sometimes adore the Holy Spirit, we miss the point. Imagine this. The Holy Spirit's ministry and purpose is to lift up Jesus. And instead, sometimes we say, oh, sometimes we make much of the Holy Spirit. Imagine what the Holy Spirit says. Stop talking about me. I'm here to point to Jesus. I have failed if you worship me and not worship Jesus. See, the thing that was so great about the song we sang about the Holy Spirit before this was that we invited the Holy Spirit to come in and help us to experience the fullness of God, but we didn't worship the Holy Spirit for his sake. I know that ruffles some feathers, but I want you to realize, how would the Holy Spirit feel when Jesus as his task in coming from the Father and being sent by Jesus was to help us to see Jesus more clearly? And all we do is focus on what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life and only talking to the Holy Spirit about what the Holy Spirit can do for us. The Holy Spirit's going to say, you've missed the point. I'm not here to point to me. The more you worship me, the more you praise me, the more you think I'm the focus of what should be happening in your life, the more you miss the whole reason why I'm here in this world. You're missing the whole reason why the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And so maybe in your community groups this week, you should talk about the ways you've been disappointed by the Holy Spirit. And ask about the ways that maybe you've been disappointed because you've been expecting the Holy Spirit to do something he was never intended to do. And maybe you can ask about what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit fulfill his purpose mission in your life. Going on. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. You'll notice here that John tells us this section of Jesus' teachings. And Jesus says, I have told you this so that you will not fall away. That's that recurring theme again. Remember, this go again, come again, go away, send. This in and out, the rhythm of this, of this sermon as Jesus is talking to them. He's having this conversation and the rhythm keeps circling around. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. And so Jesus says, I'm telling you all these things so that you will not fall away. John tells us this because in the life of the church, there are people who have heard the story of Mark and have read the story of, that Matthew posits, and they came to faith, but they're struggling with faithfulness because life has happened. They have faced persecution and disappointment and disease and death and loss, and in the midst of it, they need to be reminded. Jesus calls them to stay faithful. And sometimes church instead of trying to solve the theological problems or political problems of the day, we just need to ask how we can stay faithful. How can we hold on to faith that the world seems to think is crazy and that everything in our life seems to contradict? How will we hold on? Jesus tells us these things so that we will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering service to God. They would do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus repeats himself again, so to speak, because you'll notice that earlier in the text, 
Jesus talked about the challenges of staying faithful. And in fact, last week, Trevor talked about persecution as well. So either Jesus has Alzheimer's disease and can't remember what he just told them, or he's purposefully circling around a theme that would help us in dynamic ways understand the interplay of us with God. And when you think about what Jesus says here, I want you to think about one thing. Jesus doesn't just promise glory, but he promises a cross. Jesus doesn't just say you're going to have peace that passes understanding, delivery from evil, and a crown at the second coming. Jesus does say those things, but all of those things come because of a cross. And Jesus calls us to carry our cross as well. In a world that says faith should be easy, peace, delivery from evil, and a crown, we're reminded that in Jesus' very own words, he reminds us that it involves a cross for him and for us. That in the midst of, of great glory, we may face and often will face suffering. Maybe your faith struggles because all you care about is the peace and you don't want anything to do with the cross. Maybe you only want deliverance from evil, but you never want to face what it means to take up the cross. Maybe you only want to talk about the crown that you'll receive and never want to talk about the toil of carrying a cross in a world as people mock you. You'll notice something here that Jesus says that's different, though, than what Trevor talked about last week. Last week, Trevor talked about the world hating you. But this week, you'll notice that Jesus says, you may be put out by people of faith. He tells them they're going to be put out of the community of faith. They're going to be put out of the communities of faith where they have shared scripture, where they have celebrated the Passover year over year over year where they did Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, and they have celebrated the festivals of God, the rhythms of God's people year over year over year. And those would be the people who would put them out of the community of faith. That sometimes the religious leaders themselves, the ones that they looked up to, that they went to Shabbat school with, that the, the people that they studied with and spent time with, those would be the people who put them out. You see, last week, Jesus said you might face persecution from the world. But this week we see that Jesus says the price of following him may be having the community of faith put you out. That makes me think of two things. One, I need to be careful about those I might castigate, ostracize, or write off because I think they are heretical wrong, or otherwise disagree with me. I may be trying to put somebody out who actually sees God in ways that I do not. I may be too quick to judge someone's outward actions because I don't understand the truths that they are trying to accomplish. I need to be careful about those I would write off in the name of religious purity and faithfulness because potentially those are the people who God is stirring to help me see things more deeply. I'm not saying we don't care about doctrine. I'm not saying we don't care about the truth of Scripture. But what I am saying is that we ought to be far more careful than to write somebody off based on one Twitter feed or one soundbite or the way somebody else talks about what they say. I'm not saying we don't use discernment. 
But with our discernment, we must have a healthy sense of humility. We must have a healthy sense of what that causes to the body of Christ and to his people when we throw people out or we write them off or we write negative things about them on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever your social media platform is. One of the things that cautions me is that I ought to have humility and carefulness as I treat other people who claim the name of Jesus. And at the same time, I'm reminded that sometimes faithfulness will mean needing to be put out of the community of faith. There are places in this world where the communities of faith have abandoned Christ. There are places in this world where, where the church has forgotten what it means to put Christ above all else, and they've made this world far too important. And when you're in a place that wants to make this world and the things that are passing more important than the things that are eternal, the more you hold on to what is eternal and unfading, the more you will become at odds with a, a, a church that is focused on the world. And maybe in your faithfulness, you will need to bear the reproach of people who have sold out on God. On the one hand, you've got to be humble. And on the other hand, you, might, you need to be willing to be put out for the sake of following God faithfully. Going on. Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, you see this sense where Jesus says, this is good for you for me to go because I'm going to send the helper to you. You get the sense that Jesus relies, he believes that this helper is going to have a vibrant interaction with us, that this helper is going to fill our lives, help us to get through as we deal with people in the world, as we face adversity, as we face uncertainty, as we, we feel like the world is dizzyingly confusing because there's so much information, half of which we think is untrue but we don't know for sure. The Holy Spirit is designed to keep us rooted in a reality that will grind, ground us for faithfulness. And so Jesus says, it's good for me to leave, good for you for me to leave, that I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And then he says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you cannot see me any longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus says that as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the world will be proved wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. You'll remember that in John 14, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit could not and would not come to non-believers because it was not an experience for those who didn't believe, but that it would, be a, it would be a unique, personal, and specific presence and gift to those who are believers. So when Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world, He's not saying the Holy Spirit's going to go into some non-believer's life, possess them, and then all of a sudden they're going to have this conversion experience. What he's saying is that as the Holy Spirit comes into the life of believers, as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the world is convicted about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's one work of the Holy Spirit through God's people. You see, the, the Greek word here is about proving. It was a, a courtroom use. It was a term that was used to refer to cross-examination or, con or contrary evidence. 
So when he says that the Holy Spirit is going to prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit's going to work through us to be the contrary evidence. So as the world lives a particular way, the Holy Spirit fills each of us. And as we live lives of revealed truth in reality, as we stay rooted in faithfulness to serve God, as we live holding on to the truths of God's call, the world is convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment because they see the way we're living. You see, when you live in a world that says lives don't matter, and then you go to devastation in places like Ukraine, and you have Christian people who say, no, lives matter no matter what. When you have a world that says, no, you're here by chance, and you're nothing but matter that has amalgamated over billions of years by random happen chance with no purpose, and you have a church that says, no, we believe in the dignity from womb to the tomb of all humanity, that none of it can be taken without grieving God. The church and its people give testimony to help the world be convicted of its sin, of its lack of righteousness, and the coming judgment. Our lives, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, lived faithfully, become the counter-evidence to the world of what truth really is, and that leads to the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit works in us so that we would model faithfulness, righteousness, and delivery from judgment. Your lives are the evidence of God in the world. In the midst of great human suffering, you know, I had this conversation with my dad this week. My dad's, I love my dad. My dad's also that person who will find anything that can go wrong in a situation and tell you about it right before you're about to do it. And I, I used to hate this as a kid. And, uh, you know, like, I use Uber, and, and so I was talking to my dad about Uber, and he tells me this story about this woman who was killed. And uh, in the news article they had where she was begging for her life because she has three kids, and the person still shot her. And my dad said to me, he thinks about moments like that, and he understands why people can say, where's God in the midst of this? When you're an Afghani refugee who has fled Afghanistan to end up in the Ukraine, and now you're hunkered down half a mile under concrete in a subway station in Kiev, and you're wondering, where will this end? You might wonder why people are saying, how could God allow this to happen? And what I'm telling you, church, is that evil has always been in the world. And in the face of that evil, the Holy Spirit is dying to work in his church and in his people to be the embodiment of the counter-evidence. In the midst of great human suffering and lack of understanding of humanity, you, each and every one of you, gets to be the evidence of God in a world gone wrong. You get to be the embodiment of a goodness in the midst of evil that nobody would think possible. In a world where people feel abandoned, you get to be the embodiment of God's presence in their lives. In a world where people have said, my body is terrible, or in another part of the world where they say, all my emotions and feelings are the only thing that determine who I am, you get to be the embodiment of people who are saying, no, we are created wonderfully in the image of God. As men and women of, uh, who have been called with purpose and dignity as we are, 
to be the people God called us to be. We get to be the people who say we struggle sometimes because what we think about ourselves and what the reality of what God says don't match up. But we get to be the people who say as we live into that, we can overcome the struggles of our lives. When we get to lean into the truths that the Spirit would tell us, we get to be the embodiment and the counter evidence. We get to be the embodiment of God's goodness in the world. When someone has no faith and you, against all odds, remind them of the truth of God's promises, you become the counter evidence to cynicism, hopelessness, despondency, hatred, unkindness, impatience, we get to collectively, when I don't have the patience, I get to lean into Linda Marshall's patience. When you don't have hope, you get to lean into someone else's hope in this body because we become the embodiment of the evidence of God's work in the world. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life, it's trying to help you see the reality of everything that's going on and to stir up in you the ability to live out that reality wherever you go. So that when the world sees despondency, you see hope. In a world that seems lost, you remind them of home. In a place where nobody understands joy and peace, you remind them what it lives means to live in a reality that can never be taken away. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Even as Jesus ends this section, you again see that interplay between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us. As much as he talks about the Holy Spirit, he talks about us and what we're going to do. And as much as he talks about the Holy Spirit coming from the Father, he talks about his sending. You get this sense that the Holy Spirit doesn't feel bad that he's being sent from the Father out by Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't dig in and say, hey, I'm equal to you in power. I'm equal to you in identity and essence. I'm equal to you in every way. You can't tell me what to do. Instead, the Holy Spirit embraces the call to be sent by God into our lives. And in the same way, we have the opportunity to embrace the Spirit of God and be sent by God. And so this morning, church, when I think about this text, I've gone through it verse by verse, section by section, trying to point out some things. But I want to focus on on things that Jesus talks about as he circles through this entire section of Scripture. Faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful? And what is your call this morning to faithfulness? To me, when I think about faithfulness, I think about Lisa and times when I've been a jerk and she still has to sleep with me and wake up and go, why did I marry this guy? And Lisa's, I will be true. When he gives me no excuse to be happy, I will be true. I will be faithful when Tim lets me down. And in the same way, 
when we think about faithfulness, we live in a world that would tell you, do you really believe that God made you specially as male and female? Does God really care about what you do with your body? Do you really think there's more to hope in than government intervention? Do you really think prayer will do more than sending jets? Do you really think that God can only help people if they do the right things? None of the, we call, we're called to stand up. And we're called to be faithful in a world that has lost faith. When you struggle to believe, when you feel the uncertainty of life weighing down on what you thought, sometimes you need to be disillusioned because you believe something untrue. And the Holy Spirit needs to reveal to you the truth you need to hold on to. Other times, though, church, you need to be able to see the unseen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is passing, but what is unseen is eternal. We are the people who, in a world gone mad, will continue serving God faithfully because we know that there's more. When you feel uncertain about your faith, when you don't want to go to church and get out of bed, when you don't want to, to serve people in your life, when you don't want to deal with people in your community group, when, when you feel like you would rather just watch the ball game, when you feel like it's too much trouble to, to, to take out of your money and help meet someone else's need, I don't know whatever it is for you, church, but the call of Scripture through, the, through this text is to, to remain faithful. Jesus says, remain in me. We need to remain in him because when we, when we remain in Christ, when we keep doing the things Christ calls us to, they may not happen the way we want them to, but we know that in due season we reap the harvest of righteousness. Israel wanders in the desert, but God had the promised land for them. Israel had lessons to learn, and so they go through things that they didn't have to, but God carries them along the way. And the faithfulness of God will be ours, but we as a church in a world that has lost faith have to be the evidence of faith. God calls each and every one of us, when we look at a world gone mad, to be the ones to point to the truth that nobody sees anymore. This is all passing away my eternal fellowship with you will never be taken from me. Our ability to be in the presence of God when all is said and done cannot be taken away. And I will dare not give that away for the momentary pleasure of someone liking me on Twitter, giving me a thumbs up on Instagram. Oh, actually, I think it's a heart, whatever. I will dare not trade any of that in. Because one day, cancer, death, divorce, gossip being evil, that's all going to fade away. And I'm going to get to be in God's presence with you. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that binds us now will bind us then. And we'll experience something this world was never meant to give us. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world gone mad. And it's dizzying the truths that we're constantly told. And in fact, Father, oftentimes we've reduced our faith to seven ounces of milk. But 
But Lord, we want your spirit to be alive and well in us. We want to be the people who evidence the goodness of God. We want to be the people who, in a world that sees no evidence of God, can't ignore us. And in seeing us, they can't help but see God. So, Father, like the Holy Spirit was called to reflect and honor Jesus, help our lives to be so caught up in the work of the Spirit that we cannot help but point to Jesus. And in pointing to Jesus, God, may our lives be filled with the promises of God. Father, this morning, some of us have struggled with seeing your faithfulness because we just see brokenness in the world. Give us eyes to see the eternal truths. Father, some of us have been struggling with wondering how can we be faithful because we see our own sinfulness, our own inabilities. God, lift our eyes to see you in the midst of it. God, may your glory and goodness be the truths we hold on to. May they fill our lives. May they lead us. And may we together as God's people celebrate a God whose love binds us through eternity, come hell or high water, war, poverty, inflation, pandemics, that your love and your promises have bound us across generations. And Father, that we would look eagerly to all that you've promised, that one day in your presence, we will be together, not just singing the praises of God, but being filled with the praises of God. We pray this, O Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.